Alright, I want you to notice the first two verses of 2 Kings chapter 7. It says, Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. So in this story here, we see Israel, they're at an extremely low point. They are, the, I mean, the city is, they're starving to death. They're surrounded by an army that they can't possibly defeat. In fact, go ahead and look back in chapter 6 and verse 24. Let's see just how bad things were in Israel during this time when Elisha gives this prophecy about a measure of fine flour being sold for a shekel. In other words, he's basically saying, hey, there's about to be so much food, it's going to be sold for almost nothing. There, I mean, you all are about to have great plenty. And, but let's see what was going on in this situation because we see a man here that doubts that. He hears Elisha make this prophecy about how the food's going to be sold that cheap. And he's like, if the Lord would open windows of heaven, could that even be possible? He's kind of spreading some doubt here. He didn't say this too in a way like he's, he's trying to spread doubt, I believe. And Elisha said, you're going to see it, but you're not going to get to partake of it. And you know, maybe I'm a little morbid for this, but I, I personally find the ending of the story very satisfying. When I see that guy, this you know, servant of the king, when all of a sudden this prophecy is fulfilled, what happens? The gate opens up and it's Black Friday, right? And he gets trampled to death. <laughs> He gets trampled to death because, you know, there's about to be some serious sales on food and these people are starving to death. And, it was, and these people were a little more justified to act like this way. They were starving to death. They weren't starving for, you know, three inches more of television screen. All right. So, uh, you know, let's not necessarily put them in the same camp here. But let's look and see what the situation was because this was a pretty amazing prophecy right here. You know, it'd be like, what if I got, you know, got up here today and I said, you know what? Next week or by, by, by tomorrow, you're going to be able to get gas for 25 cents a gallon. You know, you're going to be able to get food for, you know, what, I, don't, I never buy the food. My wife does that. But, you know, you know I, I'm telling you about all these great prices and all these wonderful things that are going to happen. And so look, look at the situation that's going on here. It says in verse 24 of chapter 6, it says, And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for a hundred pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. Now imagine that. Silver is being used to purchase the head of an ass, to purchase dove's dung. That's how desperate people were for food. Now think about that, the difference between that and how it was several years back. When Solomon was king and silver was nothing even accounted for, it was just like stones. But now silver is being used to buy things that you and I would never want to eat unless we were starving to death. And that's not the worst of it we see going on here. It says in verse 26, and as the king was passing, the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, <clears throat> there cried a woman unto him saying, help my Lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor, out of the wine press. He's like, I don't have anything. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today 
and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes and passed by upon the wall. And the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. So imagine hearing that as a king, that these moms had made a deal to eat their children. That's how hungry they were. That's how desperate they were. And they literally ate a, a mother, ate her own child. Another woman ate the I, folks. We can't even imagine a famine like that. That's how bad things were. And this was a horrible thing. And but and I, you know I don't believe that these were just you know they did this just because they were just these horrible savages. Even though Israel was very wicked during this time, this is why this stuff was going on. But I believe just when people get hungry, they sometimes get desperate and they get crazy. And you got to be insane to do something like this. And of course, the one mother, after she gets her belly full, she kind of comes to her sense a little bit. She's like, I'm not killing my son. And she goes and hides it. And so now this, this woman is like begging the king for justice. Like, that's not fair. You know, we had a deal and the king doesn't even know what to do about this. He rents his clothes. He puts sackcloth upon himself because he is desperate. This kind of thing is going on in his kingdom. This was a horrible time that they're going through right now. But listen to what he said in verse 31. Then he said, God do so and more also to me. If the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand upon him this day. He wants to blame the man of God for it. He wants to blame Elisha for all these problems that are going on. And it definitely wasn't Elisha's fault. Elisha was just a messenger from God. That's all, that's all he was. But Elisha sat in his house and the elders sat with him. And the king sent men from before him. But ere the messenger came to him and said to the elders, See how the son of a murderer has sent to take away mine head. Look, when the messenger cometh, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he had talked to them, behold, the messenger came down on him and said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? So Elisha, he, you know, he's such a man of God. He knows why this man is coming for him. He knows that the king wants his head. And so Elisha goes and he gives them a message from the Lord. And he tells them how, hey, I mean... He says right there that, you know, by this time tomorrow, you know, y'all are going to have plenty of food and it's going to be cheap. And then here's this man that's a servant of the king. You know, it's kind of a king's right hand man. And he makes that statement. He said, you know, behold, or he says, yeah, behold, if the Lord will make windows in heaven, might this thing be. And folks, would we not just admit for a second that's kind of a reasonable question? You know, isn't it pretty reasonable, you know, if I was to say, you know, by this time tomorrow, gas is going to be 25 cents, you know, we would all be saying, how, how would that be? You know, what's going to happen? How is that possible? You know, how, how could there, think, you know, and things are good in our country, but, you know, this was even more extreme right here. But, you know, we can kind of see asking a question. There's plenty of things that can come up. There's plenty of situations where we might wonder, you know, how God is going to do something. We might wonder why he's going to do something. But folks, if God says he's going to do something, I highly recommend that you don't go questioning it. And you at least don't go questioning it out loud. Why? Because often when we do this, when we don't understand what God's doing, when we don't know what God's going to do, you know, we often, if we start running our mouths, we can spread doubt. And spreading doubt is a very serious sin 
that we see people doing the Bible that God never appreciated at all. And as Christians, we definitely should not be people who are spreading doubt. We are supposed to be people who are of faith. We're supposed to be spreading our faith. That's the way we're supposed to be. And when we go around telling everybody, hey, if you'll just call on the name of the Lord, he'll save your soul. But yet we act like we're going to starve to death. You know, we act like God's not going to take care of us on this earth. You know, we send a pretty bad message there, don't we? And often God's people, saved people, they just get this attitude of doom and gloom. And they're always just questioning God. They're always questioning everything and just wondering what's going on. And, you know, while we all have these thoughts cross our mind, we don't need to go verbalizing these things because we're only going to spread doubt. And that's exactly what was going on. Uh, here during this time. And God did not appreciate this at all because God wants people to have faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now what's interesting about Enoch, the Bible doesn't say much about him. We know he's somebody who never died, but all the Old Testament really says about him is that he walked with God. And right here in Hebrews, we see him say that he pleased God. Now, how did he please God? Well, it says in the very next verse, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. I believe that Enoch was a man just of great faith. One who diligently was seeking after God. One that was looking for the Lord. Wanting to, wanting to find Him. Wanting to be close to Him. Somebody who had great faith. And this pleased God in a great way. And that's what we please God with today. We please God with our faith, not with our works. That's why salvation is by faith and not of works. We don't please God by our acts of obedience that we do. Even though it's good to do acts of obedience, it's good to obey God and to get baptized after you get saved. It's good to obey God and go to church and read your Bible and all those things that God's commanded us to do that will help us have a better life. But at the same time, what really pleases God is our faith. And the reason too, and this is just kind of a side note here, if I can just kind of chase a rabbit right here. You know, when it comes to the works that we do after we get saved, if these things had anything to do with our salvation, then they wouldn't be about faith, would they? Therefore, they wouldn't please God. But here we are, believers, that we can be, that we are saved because we trusted in Christ. We are going to heaven. Nothing can change that. Yet, we go to church anyway. We read our Bibles anyway. We follow the commands anyway. There's, folks, there's only one reason we would do that. It's just because we have faith. We believe God. We're trusting His Word. It's not because we're trying to earn something for it. And I believe God pleases that. And as Christians, our job, our business is spreading that faith. Mark 16 and verse 15. And He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We'll be going around spreading faith, not spreading doubt. And there's always going to be people. There's always going to be that person in the church that just wants to rain on the parade, that just wants to prophesy doom and gloom for everything. You know, the church gets all excited about something. And then there's always somebody that wants to come along and just, ah, I don't think it's going to work. You know, and they're always the pessimists, you know, as they like to call themselves the realists. All right. But the truth is, this guy here in 2 Kings chapter 7, he's just being a realist. You know, when 100 pieces of silver is buying a donkey's head, you know, how are you going to buy real food for just a shekel? How is that? How does that work? How do, they, how do you do that when you've got an army in front of you, know, surrounding you? 
that you can't defeat and you're in the middle of a famine. Even if the, the next day it would have started raining, it takes a while for think food to grow, doesn't it? It doesn't just rain and then all of a sudden food pops up. It takes time. They don't have time. They don't, they don't have time because these people are already dying. They're already eating their own kids. When you're eating dove's dung and donkey's heads, you know, you're out of everything else. You know, I'm pretty sure by then you've actually cleaned out the pantry. It's not like our houses where our kids go look in the cabinets and the fridge and say we have nothing to eat. You know, while there's food everywhere. Okay. That's, I mean, that's the way it is in our house. It'd be interesting sometimes to actually do an inventory of how much food we have when everybody's saying we have nothing to eat. And I do the same thing too. You know, and, and we all know nothing to eat means nothing I can just grab and stuff my in my mouth right now without any effort or labor. <laughs> but, um, you know, this, this is legit here, what's going on. They're that, they're in that, they have that much problems. And we see that God regularly, before this time, was getting angry at Israel for not having faith. That was the one thing that would get them in major trouble. And turn over to Psalm 78. And it would often get them killed. Because here God would do all these amazing things for them. And then they still wouldn't believe God. And it says in Psalm 78, we'll start reading verse 12. It said, Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And he made the waters to stand as in heat. Now that's pretty impressive right there, the parting of the Red Sea. You'd think anybody that walked through the Red Sea would never have a doubt again. And I know you all think it. If I got to walk through the Red Sea, I'd never have a doubt again. And hold that thought. I'm going to get on to you for that in a little bit. All right, But but it says, In the daytime also he led them with a the cloud, and all the night with the light of fire. Now, man, what must that have looked like? Okay, now, we know what clouds look like. You know, and I'm sure it was a blessing for them walking out in that wilderness and having a cloud over them to keep them in the shade. But then at night, it's a pillar of fire so they can see what's going on, so they can keep them warm. We've never seen anything like that, folks. They saw that for 40 years. In fact, think about this. While they're complaining to Moses, what are we going to drink? What are we going to eat? That, that cloud is right above them. You know, you would think Moses would just said, y'all see that cloud that's been following us around? Hey, y'all see that pillar of fire that's been following us around? Are you, why are you worried? Folks, this was bad. This just showed how wicked these people were. And it shows, too, that if you're not willing to believe the words of God, you will believe nothing. Every atheist that's out there that says, you know, you show me the evidence of God and I'll believe, they are liars. They are liars. If you will not believe the word of God, you will not believe anything. That's all there is to it. The problem with atheists is, they have rejected God and they are fools. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. That's why you can't reason with these people. That's why you can't debate these. They're, they're fools. And I don't care what you show them. It's not going to matter. Look at what these people saw and yet they're still doubting God. And constantly spreading that doubt. He goes on and on. It says in verse five, fifteen, He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the most high in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their hearts by asking meat 
for their lust. You know, it wasn't enough that they were getting the manna and eating angels' food. We want meat. And then the God gives them meat. And it says in verse 19, Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, He smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can He give bread also? Can He provide flesh for His people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth, and so a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in His salvation. Though He had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down man upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food, and He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by the power He brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowls like the sand of the sea. Remember that story? I mean, they, they were like up to their knees in, in birds and quails that they were able to eat. And it says... Um, well, it, it just, it go, we don't have time to go through it. It's just going on all the things that God did for them. God's doing miracle after miracle after miracle, yet they don't believe God. God gives them water out of a rock. God does all these things for them, yet whenever they find themselves in a situation that doesn't look real good, what did they all start doing? They all start spreading down. They're all, they're all crying out. And that is constantly what you see throughout the Old Testament and this type of thing made God very, very angry. Very angry. And it is important. And this is what I want you to get. And I, I thought about preaching a whole other message just on this right here. But I'm just going to do a little side message within this message here. Okay, We are accountable for what they saw. Y'all understand that? We Yes, physically we have not walked through the Red Sea. But the water's part. We have not done that physically. But the thing is, we have God's record of that event. Therefore, we are accountable. And you know, while it's real easy for us to say, man, they are so bad for doubting. They got to see the ten plagues. They got to see the parting of the Red Sea. They got to see this. They got to see that. And yet they still didn't believe God. But then we go and we don't believe God. We don't trust God. Every time we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we act just like them. And let me tell you, God is just as mad at us when we have doubt as he was with them. We are accountable for the things that they saw because God has given us his word. He's proved us that his word is true. We claim to be saved based only on the word of God, not on an experience, not on a, a tongues episode that we had or something like that. No, we believe it based only on the word of God. But yet when it comes to all these other areas in life where he wants us to have faith, we act just like the children of Israel. And that makes God angry. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 9. Because remember what they did? God's given a manna, but like we're sick of manna. Can God furnish a table of wilderness? Can he give us meat? What are they doing? That's tempting God right there. Oh, Lord, yeah. can, can God get my bills paid? Can God pay off my credit card that I maxed out on Black Friday? You know, buy my 114-inch TV? I mean, what, you know, that's the way we act. That's, you know what that's called? It's called tempting God. When you're basically daring God to do something, when you're going on a Baptist hunger strike, I'm not going to eat anything until the Lord answers this prayer. Even if God has to kill me. Folks, that's not fasting. That's a hunger strike. That's you throwing a temper tantrum. 
and demanding that God give you what you want. That's not the way fasting works in the Bible. That's another message too for another day. But I've seen a lot of preachers do that type of thing. And that's wrong. Okay? That's just tempting God. We're not going to do that. We're going to do the things that we know we're supposed to do. Verse Corinthians 10 verse 9 says, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye. Yeah, that story too. God sends fiery serpents. Okay? That's not normal either. That's clearly something from God. It's, they're biting the people. They're dying. They cry out to Moses. What does Moses do? He makes that brazen serpent that he puts on a pole and he holds it up. Look and live. And then those that looked on it lived. You, know, you would think after that, it's like, you know what? I'm not going to tempt God anymore. But yet they did, didn't they? They kept doing it. It says, uh, it says in verse 10, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So all those stories that we read about in the Bible, God miraculously preserved these things for us. And God expects us to believe them. Even though we haven't seen physically with our eyes the parting of the Red Sea, we've read it in the Word of God, therefore we ought to believe it and we ought to live as though we are someone who walked through the Red Sea. We ought to live as though we did experience all these things and say, you know, I'm not going to doubt God. Remember what He did to the children of Israel in the wilderness? Remember what God did to them? Because we are now accountable for what we know because we know better than they do that God hates doubt. And God hates it when we spread doubt. God hates that kind of thing. And it'd be just like if one of your children, right, let's say one of your children maybe did something really bad in, 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 you know, and it was kind of an ignorance. Okay? Maybe you had warned them, but then they went and just did something they weren't supposed to do. And then you go and you spank them for it. And then, right after that, one of your other kids goes and does the exact same thing. Do you realize you're going to be more mad at the second kid? Like, did you not see what just happened to your brother? Did you not realize, you know, did you not see me blow my top? Did you not see, you know, hear that speech that I, I know you heard that speech I gave him. I know you saw him get the swat. And here you go and you do the same thing. What did you think I was going to do? You, you, you thought I was just going to give you a pass? And yet, here we claim to be the children of God. We see what he did to the children of Israel there. And then we act like, well, I didn't know. Really? You really didn't know that you weren't supposed to do that? You really didn't know that you weren't supposed to have doubt and be spreading that doubt? You, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And God's going to be mad at us. He said, are you sure that you don't want to believe God? You, you ought to think about that. When we look at these stories... You know, what Moses should have done, if, you know, if I'd have been Moses then, you know, I'd have just, when these people started murmuring, I'd have been like, go right ahead. You know, I remember what happened in the last ones. I remember them fiery serpents. I can't wait to watch you all get bit. And Moses didn't have that attitude with the people. He was always kind of interceding for them. And that's why God used Moses and not me to do that back then. But I was like, I, I can't wait to watch you get snake bit. And then when I and then when I and whenever they got snake bit again, I'd have got that serpent, you know, brazen serpent, and I'd have put it behind my back. It's like you all want to see it, you know, say uncle, you know, I mean, you know, tell tell me you're sorry, you know, and then before I'm going to show, that's the kind of attitude that I'm going to have. 
Okay, and that, that's not the right kind of attitude. But, you know, folks, are you sure you don't want to believe God? Are you sure you want to be people that are faithless? Are you sure you want to be people that are spreading doubt? Whenever you are having doubts, are you sure you want to be the one to speak up during that time? Like, you know, Korah, Dathan and those guys. Remember the ones who God opened up the earth and he swallowed them up and then the earth closed up again? But that, that had never happened before. Say, well, I don't believe God's going to open up the ground and swallow me up. You better believe he isn't. He already did that. He already showed us what he thinks about that. So how much more upset do you think it's going to make him when you do go spreading that doubt? We know what he did to those guys. And if we have to see it, we're pretty sorry. We're like doubting Thomas, who wasn't going to believe it till he saw it. We should know better than that. We are accountable for Thomas's mistake. Okay? We are accountable. We know what God thinks. We know what Jesus himself thinks when somebody has to see before they believe. We know better. So are you sure you want to have that attitude? Are you sure that's, that's the attitude you're going to have? Are you sure that's what you're going to bring to the table? You're going to be the church pessimist or the church realist? You know, any time we're wanting to do something for God, you're always just going to, you know, let all your doubts be known to everybody and try to get everybody to have the same doubts that you do instead of just trusting, instead of just trusting in God. I don't recommend that. And, yeah, I don't have a serpent on a pole. To hold up to y'all. And if I did, you know, I'm probably going to hide it behind my back and let you suffer some pain for a little while before we let you see it. Because I, I don't have as good an attitude as Moses does on a lot of these things. But let's be. So, spreading doubts is a problem because God wants people of faith. That's how we please God. It's also a, ma a massive problem and a major sin because we shouldn't be so arrogant as to think that God is limited based on the current situation. Because isn't that what this man did in 2 Kings chapter 7? He's looking at the current situation. The current situation is people are eating donkey's heads. Women are eating their own children. People are eating dove's dung. That, that was the current situation. I mean, yes, it does make sense that this should not work out. However, they had the man of God, a proven man of God, one who had done miracle after miracle, I believe it was just in the chapter before, where there was the floating axe head. You know, another miracle, where, where, where the axe head did swim. It, that's pretty impressive right there. I mean, this is, this is a proven man of God. This was the man who followed Elijah, another proven man of God, who didn't die, who God just took up into heaven. You know, you, th this is the guy too, this happened later, where even after Elisha's dead, a dead body touches his bones and they come back to life. The guy comes back to life. Elisha had so much power on him, he raised somebody from the dead after he was dead. Okay, that's the kind of man this was. These people had no reason to doubt, but yet this man decides he's going to run his mouth and he's going to focus on the situation. And, you know, this statement that he made... I don't believe he was necessarily flat out saying that God can't do it. But what he's saying is, how is it possible? And him doing that is only going to cause everyone else to doubt. Okay? And once again, you know, we might have some thoughts cross our mind, but we don't need to necessarily verbalize those things. You know, most people too, you know, they're smart enough not to just flat out deny that God can't do, you know, that God can do something. You know, if we say, can God purge the table of the wilderness? Most of you would say yes. 
If I said, how many you believe a guy can do anything? You know, you're, you're all going to raise your hand. Okay? We, all, we all know better than to just come out and say, God can't do something. But what, can't, but what do we do? We throw questions out there that cause others to doubt. That basically reveal what's in our heart. And, and if, so if we say these things that question or cause others to doubt, we might as well just be saying God can't do it. Because that's ultimately the message that's going out. And so while you can't control what crosses your mind, you can control what comes out of your mouth. And go ahead and look at verse 15. Let's go ahead uh, back to 2 Kings chapter 7. Let's go ahead and look because we, we saw earlier as we read through this what ended up happening to this man. But it says, And they went after them unto Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told their king. Now what happened to the Syrians? God scared them off. God took care of the Syrians all by Himself, and these leprous men are the ones that um, that end up finding you know finding all this. It says the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate, and the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. As the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down to him, and it came to pass, as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. And that Lord answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such a thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. And so it fell out unto him, for the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. So this man, he made a huge mistake of opening his mouth and saying this thing that he was just thinking. Because it did, it spread doubt. God wanted the people of Israel to be a people of faith. And you know, sometimes it's best to just not say anything, just to avoid sin. Proverbs 10 verse 19 says, In a multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. You know, sometimes it's just best, you know, so we can't, always, our flesh is so bad. Sometimes, you know, we just, we can't help but think some things that we shouldn't think. And you know, when we're having prayer requests around here and somebody's praying, hey, you know, my loved one's got cancer and they may die, I'm praying for healing. If the thought crosses your mind, yeah, they're dead. Don't say that, you know. Now, we might think that. You know, that, that might be what crosses your mind. But, you know, while we can't necessarily control that, and I don't even know if it's necessarily a sin to think that. We, I, we really shouldn't. It's definitely a sin to say it. And sometimes we've just got to keep our thoughts to ourselves. Sometimes we've just got to keep our bad attitude to ourselves, our doubts to ourselves, and just pray that God helps us with these things. Hey, Lord, you know what? I don't seem like I, I don't have as much faith as a lot of these other people. But Lord, I pray that you'll help me have faith. I pray that you'll just help me at least keep my mouth shut and not stand in the way. And you know, you know, and then Lord, prove yourself true once again, and just help me, help me have a good attitude. We can at least control our mouths because our words can cause others to sin. Go ahead and turn to Numbers chapter thirteen, because if if you're not careful, what's going to happen? You're going to have people in the church who they are right with God, they do have faith. You know, they do believe God's going to answer their prayers and that God's going to do great things. But then when you come along and you 
start running your mouth, all of a sudden now they've got a different frame of mind and they now are sinning too with you. It's not just you sinning anymore. Now other people are sinning. And Numbers chapter 13, verse 25, and this is after, I mean, you know, this is after the parting of the Red Sea. This is after the ten plagues in Egypt. After God had already done many amazing things, says, and they returned from searching the land after 40 days, and they went and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them, and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us. Surely it floweth with milk and honey, as this is the fruit of it. Now that's interesting, because didn't God say, I'm going to give you a land that's flowing with milk and honey? Now what, what these guys should have said, and they kind of did, Hey, this land is just like God said it was going to be. Think about it. This land that God said he was going to give us is just like God said it was going to be. So they right here are bringing back a report that what God said about it is true. It's probably true that he's going to give it to us. That should have been the attitude they had. It says in verse 27, um, And they told them and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely of milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Hey, the Lord didn't tell us about that. Well, maybe because he wasn't worried about it. Maybe it's because God's not scared of giants. Maybe it's because God's not scared of walls you know, or strong people. It says, The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb's not worried about it. Caleb's all ready to go. Hey, yeah, what God promised is right there. If God promised to give it to us, then we can, we can take it. Let, let's, let's do it. That was his attitude. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people of the lands uh, that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came out of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. Folks, that was extremely wicked. That was extremely... After all God did, whenever God reveal, has reveals these spies... This land is just as I said. They go, they get focused on something else. They spread that doubt to everybody else and the people are crying in their tents that night. Like God brought them out in the wilderness to just die there. Like God did all those miracles just to let some giants defeat him. The people wept that night and you say, that's oh, not a big, it made God so mad. He made them all wander the wilderness for 40 years. Forty years they wandered in the wilderness. Every man of that generation that was over 20 died and never got to go into the promised land. They, they never got to see those great things except for Joshua and Caleb, the guys who were like, let's take, we can take this. Except for them. It says, And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, 
Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt or would God we had died in this wilderness? This upset God greatly. And it was all because of these ten men. These ten men, they brought up that evil report. They, they, they ran their mouth like this. And I'm telling you, God hates that kind of thing. And if, you're, if you want to be that one that's like spreading doubt in the church, understand you are sinning and you are causing other people to sin. And I'm not saying anybody's doing this right now. But you know, our church has a lot of big goals right now. We're trying to do a lot of great things for God. And you know, we don't need any people like this having this kind of attitude towards what we're trying to accomplish for God. Because if you do, you might cause other people to sin. And you know what? I don't want to have to do like Moses had to do and just lead you all through the wilderness for 40 years before God's able to do anything. I don't want to do that. That's not, I'm not interested in that one bit. And you know what? There are churches all over this country today spinning their wheels, accomplishing nothing. Dead is a doornail. They, they're just sitting around wondering why God's not doing anything in their church. You know what? Maybe it's because years ago when God tried to do something, they all doubted God. Oh, God can't do that. Maybe it's because some people in the church, they decided they're going to go and they're going to spread their worries. They're going to spread their doubts to everyone else. And then all of a sudden the people are weeping, thinking God can't do something that God wanted to do. And as a result of that, God's like, fine, I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to let this generation see it. And then, man, they're stuck They're stuck going nowhere. Folks, that is the case of most churches today. And you better believe it's the case of the average church in this community right now. Dead is a doornail going nowhere. They're closing down left and right. Way more churches have shut down in this area since we started this church that have opened up. And many have opened up since we've started this church, and they've already closed up shop. That is the state of most churches today. Dead is a doornail. The only signs of life that they can get in that church is if they go and they have some sugar daddy in the church, cough up the dough so they can just bring in all the bounce houses and clowns and magic acts and all these things. And then they'll get the community to come out for their little parades and their little circuses that they put on. And that's like their big thing of the year. Where they just go and they just stuff the faces of people, fill the kids up with candy, and they, that is all they accomplish all year long. And then they like glory in that all year too. Nobody's getting saved. Nobody's lives are being changed. I mean, nothing's happening, folks. I don't want that to ever be this church. I want I want this church to keep on moving forward. And we see that this this spreading doubt is something that can destroy a church. It's something that destroyed this nation. It destroyed an entire generation. It makes God angry. And we have no excuses. And you, we cannot, we do not have the excuse to say, well, I never walked through the Red Sea. Yeah, but you've read it in the Bible. That's even better. Well, I don't think it is. Well, it's better if you actually are wanting to be a person of faith. Okay? We're blessed if we have not seen and yet believed. If we live our life as though we did walk through that Red Sea, boy, that's going to please God right there. If God has to let us walk through a Red Sea, then you know, and, and for us to be that way, God's not going to be pleased with us for that. We need to just believe it anyway. And so what's so bad about spreading doubt is that not only are you sinning, you're causing others to sin, and you exempt yourself from getting the benefit or, or getting the benefit from the blessings. That generation to get to experience that milk and honey that was in that land. you Because know, God did what He said He was going to do anyway. God did end up giving them that land. God took down those walls. God defeated those giants. 
But they didn't get to see it. It was the next generation that got to see it. And, you know, I like to think about, you know, when, when they did send that group in that second time, they did. They brought back a good report. And, you know, when I, I just picture that in my head, I'm thinking, if I would have been one of the guys that sent in that second time, I'd have been terrified to say anything negative. There, there's no way I would have said any, anything negative after all that had happened. And it was almost like God sent them in the second time just daring them to, I, I dare you to get scared of those giants. You better be more scared of me than you are giants. You better be more scared of me than walls. And then think about that too. That generation too, said, you know, who they would have been teenagers or children when all that went on, when they saw how God defeated the, you know, those armies, how he took down those walls, you know, I know what must have been through their head is, man, mom and dad really missed out. You know, what a waste it was. Doubting God that way. And folks, I don't want to waste our time. You know, I don't know how much time is left before Jesus Christ comes back. I don't want to waste any time being stuck going nowhere because we doubted God. Because the truth is, God's going God's to do great things. You know, in the end times, there's gonna, God's people are going to do great exploits. And so that's going to happen. But the, there's, no, there's nothing that says that it has to be us that God uses. But I want it to be us. So we can't do this because if, if we're the ones that are doubting, God's going to use somebody else. I'm not, I don't want the Bible churches to get to outdo us. You know, I want it to be, I want it to be the independent fundamental Baptist that God uses. I don't want God to raise up some non-denom group to do all the great things for God. You know, for them to get their act together. I don't want, I don't want God to start using another nation other than the United States. I want God to use this nation. That, that's my desire. So we've got to step up because God's planning on doing some great things and there's going to be some oppositions and we have all these examples that we, we can look to. So there is no reason for us to doubt. And if you, if you do, if you have some things crossing your mind and they're going to cross your mind, you know what? Just start wearing duct tape over your mouth if you have to. Because you'll be better off than opening your mouth saying what you're thinking and spreading that doubt. So we let, you know, don't let your mouth cause you and others to miss out on what God's going to do. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for these examples you've given us in your word. I pray you'll help us to take these things to heart, Lord. I pray you'll help us to live as though we did experience all those things. Lord, we've read it in your word. That should be enough. We've read about the resurrection. We've read about what's to come. I pray that we'll live a victorious way. Uh, since the, we already know the outcome of this thing, I pray you'll help us to live like that, have that attitude, help us to spread that faith to as many people as we possibly can. Help, uh, let none of us be one who spreads doubt. They're always going to be around. But Lord, I pray that that won't be something that goes on in this church. But we'll be people of faith and see uh, that we'll get to see you do great things for it. In your name we pray. Amen.